Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. This is episode 22 of the second season of the No Water Methodist podcast. It doesn't feel like we've been doing it that long, but we have. I'm Jeffrey Rickman. I've been the pastor since we began this podcast, and it's a lot of fun to um, figure out how to, uh, I don't know, package, set, set this stuff up um, for the edification of anyone who joins us in this format. I really hope it's uh, a beneficial thing to you and that, that God has blessed you through listening to the ministry of, of this church, um, and we're not really aiming to be a, a remarkable or special church in any way. We're just aiming to be a faithful, humble church, and um, it just pleases me a lot that, that that's something that people still desire in the midst of our culture of novelty and excitement. This episode that we're presenting here now is from this last Sunday where, once again, we reviewed the lectionary texts, and the primary topic that I addressed is how to walk this line between God seeming to loosen up some of the Old Testament strictures around purity law and guarding against the temptation to throw the baby out with the bathwater. How do we maintain um, righteousness such that um, we will hear those words, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. So um, we live in a very permissive time where a lot of churches have been reluctant to maintain a biblical standard. Um, How do we know what's just inexcusable in the life of believers, and we talked through that a good deal. Something else I, I wanted to ask people who listen to this to be mindful of is um, our, our nation is currently going through another spat around the abortion conversation, and I've been clear about where I, I land on that, but one of the things that I think is helpful for people uh, to be thinking about is if we are going to take a pro-life stance— then are we not obligated to be funding and sacrificing for ministries that are, in a real sense, improving the lives of vulnerable mothers? And um, so I've taken time this week to learn about pregnancy centers located around my church here in Nowata, and um, I'm seeing if the local paper will publish uh, my thoughts on this and my recommendations for these four. Long and short of it is... uh, all these pregnancy centers are, are worthy and wonderful. There are thousands around the United States that are funded by believers that, that want to minister to women in their distress and to their children, and uh, for that care to go far past being born. Um, so I, I just wanted to urge you to be in prayer with me that um, whether or not Roe v. Wade is reviewed or canceled and it goes back to the states to decide that throughout the United States of America, believers give adequate care and attention to the care of vulnerable mothers and their children. Um, Because God help us if we're willing to talk the talk but not walk the walk, you know? So anyway, with that being said, um, let's just go ahead and spend the rest of our time reflecting on God's Word. Blessings. Um, We've been reading out of the uh, King James. Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. And open up to Acts chapter 11. It's on page 1547 of your pew Bibles. Now the only um, setup for this 
Joe, were you doing this one? Okay, so uh, Joe's going to come up and read from here. The only setup that we need for this, I believe, is an understanding of ancient Jewish, Second Temple Jewish purity code. Now, it's not the same thing as sinful versus non-sinful. The notion of pure or impure, clean or unclean. God, whenever he established the Jewish people as his own on Mount Sinai. Sarah Beth, were, were there copies of the scripture readings? No, okay, all right. I thought you did it 20 minutes ago. It's too late now. So just chill out, worship with everybody else. Um, okay, so they had purity law. And a big part of that purity law was food. And that was a big separation between Jews and Gentiles. Jews ate pure food. Kosher is the modern word for it. Um, and then they avoided impure food. And there were a lot of meats. There were, um, And I'm, I'm embarrassed I can't recite a lot of the broad rules, but... There are rules about if it has a cloven hoof, it has to have a cleaved hoof and to the cud and something else. But if you combine these things, it's not okay. So cattle were okay, goats and rams were okay, lambs were okay, pigs were not okay, lizards were not okay, ostriches, no way, man, don't eat those. There were lots of different things you could and could not eat. And Jews were people who kept kosher, kept pure, kept holy, and they avoided the impure stuff. And Gentiles, they just felt sorry for it because they were unclean and icky, and they ate gross stuff, like people who eat mountain oysters. You know, you just feel sorry for them, just eating icky food, right? I've had people in this church try and convince me to eat mountain oysters. I'm never going to do it. It's just not going to happen. But you and I can still go to heaven. So that was where the Jews and Gentiles were at separated. And we're going to get this story about Peter having this experience and reporting on it, how this dividing line breaks down. So, Joe, are you okay hollering for everybody? Because we're not going to have amplification. You good? Okay, come on up and holler at everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, our first reading from today is Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, which you can find on page 1547 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, that they were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again, saying, again from heaven, uh, What God hath cleansed, that call, not, that call not thou common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And behold, immediately there were three men already come in, unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. 
who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the, the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I, that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm sure if we didn't have these big air conditioning units, it would have been easy to hear Joseph, but I stood over to the side and had a hard time a little bit. So I'm just going to give Jeffrey's Hick cliff notes of what was just covered. Peter was the head apostle, both during Jesus' lifetime and after he ascended into heaven. Peter was traveling around, having already received the power of the Holy Ghost, exercising demons, healing people, when uh, God told him through heavenly messengers to go to this Gentile's house after having had this vision three times where there's like a sheet that comes down out of heaven and it has a bunch of unclean animals on it that he's not supposed to eat and God says go ahead and have a barbecue buddy and he says no way I've maintained my purity all my life God says do not call unclean what I've called clean and the implication here is that God has changed his mind in the Old Testament law he did indeed say this food is unclean but now he's saying it's clean you can go visit with the Gentile. He goes and visits with the Gentile. What do you know? The Holy Ghost falls upon him. And Peter says, who am I to argue with the Holy Ghost? I know what Jewish purity law says, but God has clearly changed the deal. This man needs to be baptized into the church. And the rest, as they say, is history. Christianity started off as a Jewish faith. It was the fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah. They assumed that Gentiles wouldn't even know how to receive the foretold Messiah because they didn't even have those prophecies. They didn't even necessarily have that yearning so far as the Jews knew. Little did they know that the Holy Spirit had other plans and would be redeeming people of all ages, nations, and races throughout the world. It's an amazing, wonderful thing, and it became a primary, uh, a majority Gentile faith. If you've ever looked, though, into Messianic Judaism, there are still what would be, uh, they don't like being called it, Jews for Jesus. It's not uh, something that is, is divided today. There are still those under the, the covenant of Moses who then also enter the covenant of Jesus. A lot of the New Testament is spent arguing that you do not need to be circumcised. You do not need to come into the first covenant to enter into the covenant with Jesus. And that's the tradition that we follow. And guess what? We're right. But anyway, we love people who disagree. The main thing is Jesus. But the thing is that I wanted to point to today is the logic that Peter used here and how dangerous and problematic it is. And now dangerous and problematic, just because something is dangerous and problematic, does that mean it's wrong? Absolutely not. Lots of people could make the case easily that Jesus was dangerous and problematic. And depending on where you stand, he definitely was and is. So just because something's dangerous and problematic doesn't mean it's wrong. It does mean, though, that you need to be careful when you approach. So here's the logic that Peter has. This thing God has said is bad, yet God, through a special revelation, says it's good. And there is fruit and evidence that it's good. So I'm going to receive that even though God hath said it's bad, now it's okay. Now, this is a form of logic that's used throughout the Christian West today. 
There are a lot of churches that look and they see things that in the Bible are spelled flat out as wrong and bad. They do not please the Lord, but they say, look, we see people who do this and they clearly display the gifts and graces of the Spirit. Who are we to stand in God's way? Those parts of the Bible are wrong. Those parts of the Bible, maybe they were true at one point, but they're not true anymore. And someone might say to them, well, you can't change God's word. And they would look to this portion right here and say, God changed his word and showed Peter that Gentiles could now receive the kingdom. It was very clear before they couldn't. Now it's saying they could. If God changed here, why wouldn't he change here? And that is an, a very difficult argument to have. There are people having that argument all over the country, all over the world, all over the West right now. With a lot of people looking at the Bible like it's a trajectory. God started off very harsh. And then in the New Testament, things are still pretty harsh, but he loosened up. And now we get to be really loosey-goosey today. We, we, get to just, we get to dismiss it all, and it's all grace, and it's all mercy, and it's all love. There is no judgment. So a lot of that started with this. Now, was Peter wrong? No, Peter was not wrong. Was it wrong to remove dietary law? No, it was not. This is a revelation from God. It's told that way in the Bible. It is. But you all know what the slippery slope argument is? It's, we've got this standard, but if we compromise here, we compromise here, well, there's a slippery slope, and we're just going to end up down here in the gutter. And it's considered a logical fallacy. But even so, I notice that anytime the slippery slope happens, we almost always find our way at the end point. How do we avoid this end point where all standards are jettisoned and there is no judgment, there's only grace, there's only mercy? That's the $10 million question right now. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wager something when we get to the Revelation reading. But I wanted to highlight here and now that this is what Paul does. This is what Peter does. Excuse me. I don't know why I confuse that. This is what happens with Peter. And there is a reason why we find ourselves so tempted to jettison things that are said in the Bible that are harsh and judgmental and establish a standard. Now, before we go on, I did want us to remind ourselves, what did Jesus say? about the Old Testament law and about whether or not he canceled it out. Does anybody remember in the Sermon on the Mount? Any, just give me a phrase and I'll complete it for you. Very good. He says, do not think, we got, some, we got several who got, do not think I came to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish. I came to fulfill the law. Truly, I tell you, not until kingdom and heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, not one tittle, will be erased from the law. And unless you achieve the righteousness, unless you surpass the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if we are going to be engaged in the project of canceling out any part of the law, just know that Jesus probably stands against you. Probably. It's a dangerous thing to do. So with that in mind, I want to just put it down. I want to pick this back up when we get to the Revelation reading. And in the meantime, let's, let's praise God a little bit more. Let's sing about God's love. Number 384, love divine, all love's excelling. Let's do Psalm 148. It's on page 861 of your hymnals. This should be a pretty familiar um, response. I'll sing it through once, and then you all join me, and then we'll do the reading. Oh, okay. No, let me do it a cappella, and then you join second. Okay. So, let all things their creator bless. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. All right, let's sing that together. 
Let all things their Creator bless. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all shining stars. Praise the Lord, highest heavens, and all the waters above the heavens. Let all things their Creator bless. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Let them praise the name of the Lord, who commanded and they were created. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps. Let all things their Creator bless. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name alone is exalted, whose glory is above earth and heaven. Praise the Lord. Let all things their Creator bless. Alleluia. As uh, a child and young man and even a, a big part of my adult life, I found psalms like this very boring because it's quite repetitive, is it not? What's the refrain? What's the thing it's saying over and over and over? Praise the Lord. Gee, do you think it's important to praise the Lord? See, I've noticed I think I'm pretty smart, but I'm not. I'm not a smart man. I'm a pretty typical man. The typical person is not that smart. Maybe you're smarter than me. However, have you ever noticed most people who are in Christ get distracted with many things? And they think life is about having kids or getting married or making money or being secure. What's the purpose of life? Praising the Lord. And that's the refrain you find not just in this psalm, but throughout the Bible. The purpose of your life is to praise the Lord. I had a moment this week, I was mean. I was one of those judgmental preachers, and I, I had a hard time knowing to feel good about it or not. I was in line over at the grocery store, and there was a lady that belonged to the other church. I haven't seen her for some time. She came up and clapped me on the back and said, I know I haven't been around for a while, Pastor. I said, I know I've missed you. We've missed you. And she said, 
well, I've just been working a lot, but you know, I should be able to give an hour to the Lord. And I said the judgmental thing. I said, yeah, if, uh, if your life is so busy that you can't give an hour to the Lord, then you're doing something wrong. Isn't that mean? Roberta says no. But I wondered what that cashier thought. Cashier, I'm not French. I wondered what that cashier thought. Um, I wondered what that cashier thought. I said it again. I wondered what that cashier thought. Oh, that judgmental pastor thinks that he's doing the most important thing and everybody just needs to sacrifice their time for him. Not talking about me. Praising the Lord in the communion of saints is what we were built for. That's that you and I are praising machines. We are worshiping organisms. We were created for that very task. If we are not doing it a bare minimum once a week for an hour, we're doing something wrong. You're doing something wrong. If your family life, if your professional life, if your sleep schedule, if those things do not afford you worshiping God for at least an hour a week, really it should be all day, every day. That's what you're created to do. If you can't even do an hour a week, you're doing something wrong. You're living wrong. Get it together. That's about the most refined sermon I have on this. I know you're used to something a little more nuanced, but there's right and wrong sometimes, good and bad, black and white. If you're not worshiping the Lord, you're doing something wrong. There's a lot of people say, I love Jesus. I don't have time or energy or things don't just add up. It's a cop-out. You can do it. You should do it. The expectation is that you do. If you're not, you're doing it wrong. I've said it 40 times now. Let's move on. All right. Let's uh, let's go to our Revelation reading. And I told you we were going to come back to this idea of are there any standards that maintain in God's law after Peter's experience of God breaking down one expectation? So David's going to read to us um, these eight verses from Revelation 21. Pray for him. He's going to be competing against heavy machinery. But thank you, brother. Good morning. When I woke up this morning, I uh, remembered something that I'd said in the past that uh, on Sunday morning when I get up, if somebody asks what I'm doing, I don't say I have to go to church. Instead, I say I get to go to church. And I'm thankful that every day. Today's third reading is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, which can be found on page 1747 of your pew Bible, please listen to the word of God. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new, and he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He then overcometh shall inherit all things, 
and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. God. David had the voice for that. You can tell he's a teacher competing against all the teenage voices in the classroom. I guess we're lucky you didn't use your teacher tone on us. Thank you, brother. So this, this reading from Revelation, it's mostly a, a wonderful, comforting reading, is it not? There's a new heaven and a new earth. The new Jerusalem comes down as a bride adorned for her husband. God has purified the creation. It says there is no more sea. The, the notion there is that ancient peoples saw the sea as a place of comfort, disorder, and death. So God has ended all... Did I say comfort? I meant chaos. Chaos, disorder, and death. God ends all chaos. It's a, it's a realm now of order and peace and perfection. There is no suffering. There's no sorrowing, sighing. There's no crying. God wipes away every tear from their eyes. Is God not most gracious? Is not God so good? So isn't it strange then? It strikes our culture as strange that in verse 8, all of a sudden, it's been talking about all the good, all the good, all the good, but the fearful, the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Is that happy? That is the opposite of happy. It doesn't get much further from happiness. The lake of fire, sulfur, and brimstone, this is a most unhappy place. We're, we're, we're led along this happy, happy path, and then just in case you get too carried away, oh, all these people are not going to be welcome here. Why does it do this? Other than it's true. What purpose does it serve? Just, you know, it's happy, 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 then it has this, and then it goes more down happy bill. You know, the next few passages are very happy. Why does it just stick that right in the middle? Just so you know, all these people who do these things are not going to be there. Why, why does it do that? Who said warning? Thank you, Marilee. It's a warning. Why would we need to be warned? Don't we already know this? It said this all, you know, this is the very end of the Bible, you know. How many times have we heard vice lists from, from Jesus, from the Old Testament? I mean, surely we're warned about these things several times before, are we not? Why is it warning us right at the very end? So Johnny's saying, we're mankind, we're corruptible. What I'm going to put needle in there is, even though we've heard it a hundred times, that doesn't mean we're gonna try, not going to try needle out of it the hundred and first. God is making clear all the way through. He's punctuating. It's, the, the, the grand theme of the Bible is God is gracious. God is merciful. His, his love is everlasting. He is so merciful for thousands of generations. But listen, don't get too carried away with that. There will be a judgment there have always been Christians of every generation that want to get carried away with how gracious and merciful and loving God is to the point where they really don't believe that God is going to pull the trigger on this judgment thing. They really don't think he has it in them. They think he's so gracious and loving that's going to cancel out his judgment. And the consistent biblical witness is, no, God is perfect and he perfectly balances grace and judgment. And that might be hard for my little brain to understand. Does that mean that that because it's hard to understand that God is 
only going to do what makes sense to me? I mean, we know that's not true. We know that God is not limited by our own understanding of what feels right to our conscience. There are certain directions you can go where God's mercy and love is not going to apply to you. You have chosen your way. You are not going to be welcome in the blessings for eternity. So let's talk through these things. They're, they're given as a warning. Why? Because it wants us to feel bad. It wants us to be saved. It wants us to not do these things. What's, what if we've done these things? Are we just toast? No. What do we do? Repent. It's this wonderful thing. It's a biblical thing. Jesus told us to repent. John the Baptist told us to repent. It means you're going a certain way. You're doing a certain thing. You stop. You say, I'm wrong. And you go a different way. And you don't go back. That's what repentance is. doesn't matter if you've done all these things. There's only one unforgivable sin. It's not on this list. It's on Jesus' list. And that's what matters. But we're going to talk about this list. And you can repent of all of them. But what if you don't repent? What if you persist in them and just say, God's going to have to forgive me anyway? Is that how it works? That is not how it works. The Bible, that's why it's in here. It's saying, it doesn't matter what feels right to you. This is the deal. This is how it's going to be. Do you want to be in this kingdom of perfect peace and prosperity and love and shalom? Do you want to be there? If so, do not do these things. So let's talk about these things. Right off the bat, the number one person that's not allowed in here is a fearful person. That doesn't feel like a big deal to us, does it? We got fear all around us. You mean I'm not supposed to be fearful? Yeah. How many times in the Bible do we hear the phrase, do not fear? Do you think God's playing? Don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. Do you believe in God? Do you believe that he's powerful and faithful? Then you have nothing to fear. Do not be afraid. Do not go as a fearful person through life. If you're turning on the TV and the news is making you afraid, turn it off. Oh, but I won't know what's going on. So what? So you won't know what's going on. Do you think there's a quiz when you get to heaven about modern events? Turn off your TV. If it's making you fearful, turn it off. If you got friends on Facebook that are making you afraid, unfriend them. Snooze them. They won't even know it. They won't even know you snoozed them. But don't take that stuff in. The unbelieving. We talk about the importance of belief every week. If you're confused on that, find me after worship. The abominable. That's people who just do things the Lord's hate. That's a, that's a big category. Uh, in the NIV, it's the vile. Okay. But that's a big conscience thing. I don't want to dig into it too much. Has murderers. Okay, that one's pretty clear. And most people here are feeling pretty good. Hey, I've never killed anybody. Jesus expands this out on the Sermon on the Mount to anyone who hurts or hates or is hostile to their neighbor. We have to be patient, patient and peaceable, pursuing even our enemies with love. That's, that's, that's kind of what that's about. Um, whoremongers. Isn't that a fun word? Um, <laughs> yes, I have children in worship. They're my children. Um, well, not all of them. So anyway, mother, I have your permission. <laughs> uh, this is the, the Greek word here is porneia, sexual immorality. Um, so whoremonger really isn't a great word. That, that would infer it's just someone who's going and looking for prostitutes. That's really not what it's talking about here. It's talking about people who are sexually immoral. So I've preached about this before, but this is one of those topics where if we're not regularly reminded, we kind of forget because we're surrounded by a culture that's always attacking this. A lot of people think this is just talking about the gays. Is this just talking about gay stuff? Is that the only way you can be sexually immoral? No, this is not a picking on the gays thing. What is sexual immorality from a Christian viewpoint, what, from a biblical viewpoint? And just while you're reminding yourself, the way we know this, the meaning of porneia at this point in time is we have writings from an ancient Jew named Philo. He was a contemporary of Paul 
who wrote all the particulars out for everybody. He was an Egyptian Jew. He said, this is what Jews and by nature early Christians understand porneia to be. So what did they understand sexual immorality to be? You don't need to name off all the acts. Just how do we know if something is a sexual sin? What was that, Vicki? Any sexual activity outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. Anything. Anything. Any sexual activity outside of a man and a woman. How many things are there we can do sexually outside of a marriage to a person of the opposite sex? Thousands. They are all sexual sins. That is all sexual immorality. Gee, I almost get the impression that life is not about having sex. It's not about my sexual satisfaction. Oh my gosh. You mean God gave me this body and it's meant for praising him and not having all the sex that I want? This is a countercultural message. We live in a culture that says you have these sexual urges. This is how God made you. You need to fulfill your sexual desires. Is that what life is about, really? If you go through life and you have not fulfilled your sexual desires, are you some creature that's meant to be pitied because you did not have a full life? No. Life isn't about sex. We all have disordered desires, many of which, not just sexual, many desires lead us to great misery, and if you give in to them, you're signing your own death sentence. Life is a, that's why one of the fruits of the Spirit, the last one, the hardest one, self-control. Self-denial, absolutely essential for salvation. We don't like talking about it because it doesn't feel good. Absolutely essential. Let's move on from whoremongers. Sorcerers. Do we have sorcerers nowadays with their pointy hats and their crystal balls? Uh, okay, you already said the right answer. Yes, we do. What are some forms of sorcery that will jeopardize our salvation? Man, we had drugs. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a second because that is amazing. Yes, I had never thought of that. Uh, but apparently the Greek word here is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacology, which is medicine, drugs. I didn't know that until today. A guy in our first worship service educated me. Okay, we'll come back to drugs. What are some common forms of sorcery that people do still partake in that Christians should avoid? Witchcraft, okay, so modern occult, uh, Wiccan uh, faith, okay, paganism. What else? Horoscopes. Oh, Mike, I love you for making me not have to say that. So many people love reading the horoscope in the paper. That is literally deferring to heavenly powers that are not under Yahweh's divine leadership. It feels innocent. It is not innocent. Horoscopes are evil. Do not do them. Other sorcery. Ooh, ooh, that's too hard, though. I can't do that. Seriously, I, uh, navigating propaganda from truth, uh, I am too stupid for that. Seriously, we live in a very confusing age, but probably. You're probably right. Yeah, I'll give a sermon on that some other time. That, that hurts me. Okay, um, but thank you for that. That's very helpful. Uh, anything else before the drugs? Oh, psychics. That's a big business here in America, isn't it? People go down to New Orleans, and, oh, there's a voodoo mama I can stop in. She can tell me my future, who I'm going to marry. Is that innocent and fun? It is not. That's bad juju. Literally. Anything else? I think we've set up the, the pattern. Tarot cards, tea leaves. Oh, the only one that gets weird is casting lots. That's in the Bible. Did you know this? In the high priest in his chest plate, he had the Urim and the Thummim. Those were literally lots. And John Wesley, whenever he was trying to decide if he would marry Sophie Hopke, early on he cast lots to decide. Just beware. It told him no, and he didn't do it, and then he regretted it. 
It all went bad, and he ended up excommunicating, no, no, well, refusing her communion. It all went bad. I do not recommend casting lots. I, I recommend pro-con pro analysis. Um, let's talk about drugs real quick. Why would drugs fit into this? Sorcery. It does, but... Okay. Messes with their brain. Yeah, when we're thinking about, I mean, it depends on the drug. Um, you know, a lot of people, I mean, if you want to be argumentative, in the Bible, Timothy is told to have a glass of wine. Okay, so for, for health benefits, we're not saying uh, straight edge, you can never have a drink of wine. But if we're talking about PCP, uh, cocaine, methamphetamine, um, uh, what's the stuff that the CIA used against people's will or unconsciously? Acid, LSD, yeah. If you didn't know about that, yes, your government did that. Um, all this stuff alters your brain. And then when people experience things in an altered state of mind, are they always just imaginations? A lot of times they're real. The problem is not that they are false. The problem is that they are not ready. Jordan Peterson is not a believer, but one of the things that he says, he's a modern thinker, he says, beware of unearned wisdom. Beware of unearned wisdom. That's why if you don't read your Bible, you are in big trouble. Because the only way to gather Christian wisdom, it's not by listening to a thousand sermons, it's by reading your Bible yourself and allowing God to give you his wisdom that way. Now, drugs are cheating. They're cheating. They're hopping to the end of the line, getting that eternal wisdom there, but you're going without the Holy Spirit as your guide, and you're going without building the muscle tissue that you need. And that pretty much guarantees that you're going to process it wrongly. When you think about it, think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Did God intend that humans would stay ignorant of good and evil forever, just stay stupid? Is that what God wanted us? Probably not. I think it's safe to assume God was going to give Adam and Eve that knowledge, but on his terms. And what that tree was, was a temptation to do it on our terms, to get that knowledge on our terms, in our way. And so Adam and Eve did that sin that people today do with drugs where I want to relax. Okay, so instead of going running or doing some push-ups or doing some meditation, I'm just going to drink a few beers. Oh, I want to work really hard, so instead of building up the self-discipline to study for days and days, I'm just going to take an Adderall. You know, that was really common in my college years. They would take drugs to help them concentrate better. It's cheating, it's wrong, and it is probably a form of sorcery. Don't do it. Now, someone might think, hey, this is like a middle-aged crowd here. Surely none of them is doing drugs, right? We live in the most chemical-dependent generation time on Earth ever. There are so many pharmaceuticals in our groundwater that when it leaches back out into nature, it warps everything. We are doing way too many drugs as a society, and not just illicit ones. My mother, who is in her early 60s, went to the doctor and he said, how many medications are you on? She said, none. He said, that doesn't happen anymore. Almost everybody is on medications nowadays. And some of them are needed. Some of them are helpful. But a lot of them aren't. And it's a problem when we don't know how to function without artificial interception of our neurons and chemistry in our brains. So I know we started off with, oh, those illicit meth users, oh, they're so bad. No, this culturally spills out in a lot of directions, and we are not pure. We should purify ourselves. Okay, let's move on. Uh, sorcerers, idolaters. Idolatry is establishing anything is more important than God in your life. So assess 
where your time, energy, money, resources are going. If anything goes uh, to more than God, you're an idolater. Don't do that. All liars, that's the last one. And that sounds easy, but it's really hard to not lie. It's very difficult. Don't do it. If you do, you won't be welcome in God's kingdom. Does all this sound like I, uh, I preach the Bible today? Okay, if I messed up on anything, you can catch me after worship. I will repent and apologize from the pulpit next week. I've done it before. I will do it again. Just because I said it doesn't make it true. However, I have done my best to reflect the scriptural knowledge contained here. We've already reached 12.03. We have a 12.30 presentation. I don't think we have time to read our next reading. I think we need to close on a closing hymn and just be done with worship for today. We've covered a lot. Um, so we've got... Hail the day that sees him rise versus standing on the promises. I think we know standing on the promises a little better. I say we end on a good note. Are you all okay to stand up and sing with me? Okay, let's stand and sing number 374, standing on the promises. <laughs>